Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast with Rebecca Coombs, the place where you can learn how to achieve a happy, healthy gut. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Welcome to episode 40 of the Healthy Gut Podcast. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jason Wysocki and we come to you from a live recording of the Healthy Gut Podcast at his medical practice, Eight Hearts in Portland, Oregon. Today we talk about mind, body and spirit and how we can create a uniting force that will empower us on our journey to recovery. Dr. Jason Wysocki is a licensed naturopathic physician and he's the owner of Eight Hearts Health and Wellness where we do the recording in front of a live audience which was wonderful to see people sitting there with us. He's the founder of Awaken Medical and its non-profit Awaken Foundation. Dr. Wysocki received his doctorate in naturopathic medicine from National University of Natural Medicine in Portland where he also serves as an adjunct faculty member in NUNM's School of Research and Graduate Studies Integrative Mental Health Program. During his tenure at NUNM, he was selected for a prestigious one-year internship at the SIBO Centre for Digestive Health with the renowned Dr. Stephen Sandberg-Lewis. He was also the only naturopathic student to complete a one-year integrated internship for Pacific University's Psychology and Comprehensive Health Clinic. Dr. Wysocki has been involved in researching various natural interventions in the treatment of depression and anxiety, including a pioneering study addressing microbes and development of herb resistance. Dr. Wysocki also holds a BS in theology and an MS in counselling from Cairn University, working in various aspects of mental health for over 11 years. And this makes him a well and truly qualified guest to talk to us today about mind, body and spirit, particularly when it comes to dealing with chronic illness such as SIBO. Dr. Jason Wysocki, welcome to the Healthy Gut Podcast. It's great to be here, Rebecca. Thank it's you. It's wonderful to have you here. And uh, we're here at Eight Hearts um, here in Portland. We're doing the Healthy Gut Podcast live and we've got a gorgeous group of people that are here watching us record. And I'm so thrilled to be here in the States, touring around the country, promoting the launch of my SIBO cookbooks, uh, but also having the opportunity to sit down with practitioners like yourself and have really important conversations to to uh, help my fellow SIBOers out there. So thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Welcome to the States. Yeah. <laughs> I love Portland. It's always so nice to come back. And uh, and I'm skipping winter. I'm skipping a month of winter. So I'm really happy about coming here for the summer. Woohoo! Warm weather. <laughs> well, it's quite opposite today. Everyone braved 90 degrees. So thank you. Very unusual for Portland. Oh, you know, I was here for the SIBO Symposium in June 2016. And, and you had a heat wave then. Mm-hmm. And I've come back to Portland. And it's another little heat wave so I think Portland Portland really likes me and it's putting on the warm weather <laughs> you bring a little bit of the Aussiness to yeah, Portland bringing it's Australian great. Weather. I love <laughs> the heat um, I'd love to start off with just talking a little bit about your own personal journey to becoming a naturopathic doctor because you didn't just go straight from school to med school to become a naturopathic doctor you lived another life yes. as have I before I ended up doing this type of work um Talk to us about, uh, yeah, why you became a naturopathic doctor. 
Okay, well, we're going to have to go back a while. So it actually brings us all back to when I was about six or seven. And this is why I come to things more from a holistic point of view, uh, that I was having abdominal pain as a six or seven-year-old child that no one could explain, and literally had barium enemas and all the tests with which came back, everything was normal. But I was having... They always come back and say normal, don't they? come back normal, don't they? <laughs> Those damn tests. <laughs> so these normal tests uh, left me with pain, you know, no, nothing to explain. And I even saw the Dr. Atkins at that point of the Atkins fame. Hopefully I'm not dating myself too much there. But yeah, saw him in his New York office and still everything came back normal. So that mystery pain actually disappeared after about a year and didn't really recur until my college years, uh, actually when I was studying theology and counseling. And at that point, um, which we'll discuss in our men's health webinar, um, I didn't realize that it wasn't normal to have to go to the bathroom between 10 to 15 minutes of eating in a restaurant or being anxious or speaking in front of people. That was just the norm for me and always had to plan out you know, 10 to 15 minutes after doing one of these events or something that I would have to find a restroom. That proceeded uh, to actually, again, me being more of an anxious high test person, uh, having a heart condition through college and going the conventional method, uh, being from New Jersey, where I was born and raised, uh, naturopathic medicine wasn't the preliminary medical model. You know, uh, chiropractic was the only natural way to go there. And I did see a chiropractic physician, but I was treated uh, conventionally. And that actually led me to take a lot of things that they were just giving me, you know, just to kind of get through. Uh, that led me to a dark period of my life. And that led me to naturopathic medicine. Um, again, five to seven years after that. In, those, in that time period, I actually was a pastor and a counselor. So that's actually where I cut a lot of my medical teeth in, in the sense of clinical practice and speaking with people was actually on the counseling, pastoring realm and some business. So that's what I bring to Eight Hearts. So, And I think that um, it, when someone has had a life experience um, and that they themselves have experienced abdominal discomfort and, you know, and toileting concerns that I think that that makes you um, a more sympathetic practitioner than than the practitioner that's always had perfect health and, and they just don't know what it's like firsthand. Um, so I'm all for those that have gone and had a bit of life experience before they started treating us. And I always have, con you know, I always think the people that go straight from primary school to high school to med school to residency and then they're out in the real world, um, you know, if I had just done like all my education and never gone and lived life, I wouldn't have a lot of life experience to be able to relate to people. Um, and I think that perhaps is why some doctors have such an abrupt bedside manner um, because they just haven't lived and living is really important. Getting Very out important. And experiencing things. <laughs> and on today's podcast, we're, we're not going to be covering you know, the nitty gritty on medical things. Instead, we're going to be talking about mind, body and spirit. And it's something that you and I have spoken about at length um, when we have seen each other um, outside of this podcast recording, because it's something that you and I are both passionate about. And um, focusing on mind, body and spirit was a really integral component for my own return to health and continued, continuing return to health because I wouldn't say that I'm at the most optimal health I could ever be, but I'm a hell of a lot better than I ever used to be. Um, so let's start with mind, which is the first one in this. Um, can you talk to me about what that component or that piece looks like for you and how you integrate that in your practice with your patients? So the first thing I would comment on is, how, as you just said, you know, getting to that optimal place. What is that? You know, it, journey is a piece of this process. And I know that that may be a buzzword or a catchword for a lot of people. But what I mean by journey is that it's a process. It, it literally is becoming aware, you know, and we're speaking about mind right now, becoming aware of what actually may be going on. And that is informed by hard science, you know, medical practice, 
breath tests, Heidelberg tests, lab tests, all these things, they can give us pieces in time and pieces of that. But what brings it all together and, you know, each section of the body has different things that can go wrong or go right. What brings that all together is a uniting force. And I kind of conceptualize that as mind slash spirit, which we'll get to. But the mind component, you know, really drives much of this and even our experience of body, you know, in the sense that what one person can feel as pain, another feels as a cramp. What another person feels as a catastrophe, another feels as normal. You know, you shared just a little while ago that not going for a couple of days was just normal. To, to one person, that's catastrophic. To another, that's semi-normal. And bringing that into a realm of truth in the sense that there is a quote-unquote normal that we want to aspire to, but also accepting the journey possibly to get there and defining for each one of us what health means. That's an incredibly important component that, you know, for someone, they might want to go to the bathroom every day, you know, just taking stooling, since we talk all about that all the time. Uh, everyone might want to go every day. That might not be a reality right now or for some time. It could be something to work towards. The other important thing is finding practitioners, again, speaking about mind, that will listen to what your mind makes health and describes health as. You know, in the sense that when I sit in, next to a patient, I might think it's normal to go every day, but that might ne never have been their experience. And if they go every other day, that might be something to really celebrate. You know, to that for them, that's a momentous occasion. So really listening to where they are and again, practicing and cultivating that awareness in myself, even when sitting with a patient to help them cultivate that awareness in themselves. Uh, another part of mind, again, on the mental health side, because I did that for a decade before all this, there's a lot of grief that comes up with any chronic condition. And, you know, from treating hundreds of SIBO cases now, this certainly, at least when they come see us, most of those are the difficult cases. I believe Dr. Seebecker just mentioned that too. Uh, the sprinkling of the ones that get better very quickly happens, but a lot of time, it's, it's a chronic condition. And it certainly is for me, you know, in the sense that, you know, IBS, and I really didn't get serious about my SIBO treatment until I had Lyme disease. So treating that and all those antimicrobials actually made the difference with my IBS presumed SIBO. Again, we're going back many years before I could diagnose myself, which I don't recommend anyone do. <laughs> so part of that mind component, um, again, and, and thinking about these three different things is, is this concept of grief, awareness, and also acknowledging that team is really important and that one person probably may not be the answer. And one practitioner may not be the answer. Multiple practitioners might not be the answer. Community around you, support is just as important as your health team. You know, when people speak about, I want to assemble my dream team, they think just in practitioners. That's not necessarily the case either. You know, it has to be a holistic lifestyle mind piece. And again, this is tough stuff. This is stuff that where the rubber really meets the road. And I don't sit here presuming to be an expert. I'm on my journey, just as you are, just as everyone else is here. And that, that team thing, I think, is really important. And the way I looked at it was we are um, social animals by nature. And yet this condition can be incredibly isolating. And for many of us, we have been dealing with this for years and years, for many of us, most of our lives. And we've often been to many practitioners who have said there's nothing wrong. They've run blood tests. They've come back fine. And the assumption is perhaps it's all in your head. And it becomes more and more isolating because you think, well, I won't keep talking to people about it because no one believes me. Or you're in a situation like you were sharing with us where, you know, you're perhaps your body is not allowing you to be overly social because you've got to know where the restroom is every place you go. So then it becomes just easier to stay at home. Um, and when I was going through my 
um, experience with you know those early days of SIBO, I really hung on to the what I call the awareness piece, which was learning what I needed to learn, not going into um, research overload, which is very easy to do, and I did do it for a little while. Um, but feeling empowered by learning something about this condition and then also making sure I had good quality people in my life that um, – and I was so lucky to have stumbled across my naturopath when I did who is so knowledgeable on SIBO. And so she was able to treat me with skill but then I went and sought the services of a psychologist to deal with you know, some pretty big trauma I needed to deal with, um, a personal trainer to keep me accountable, to keep moving – uh, and um, I'm really glad that I'm a very good cook, so I, I took on the role of chef. <laughs> um, but also looking at my friendship circles and my family circles and my relationship and my, my career and looking at, you know, who are the people in my life more broadly and how are they helping me and how are they hindering me to start really owning my health. And so like you say, it's a community of people and support that is often required for this chronic and often very long-term condition. Yeah, and uh, the mind piece with that, again, bringing that all together, there's hard science behind that. There are neurotransmitters that we can modify. There are things we can do. It's, it's, It's the skill of putting that together to say, what can you bring to that? And then what can we do from the best of science and research and all of these things? You know, many, many people, myself included, antimicrobials bringing down microbiota levels in the small intestine helps mental health, aids the mind. What piece and where does that meet with how do you, with your awareness, you know, what piece can you practice alongside the treatments? You know, and when doing treatments, the mind piece and awareness comes in in your own body in the sense that, you know, in nature, when an animal is wounded or is sick, it literally hibernates to get better or get well. This would not be accepted in American culture. You know, if, if, if some big thing happens or sickness happens, we have to trudge through it and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. For some people, rest, retreat, reflection, might be a piece of their healing, not just antimicrobials. And then on the flip side, some people, when their microbiota and their small intestine comes down or other things are treated, they have more energy and they feel freer. As you shared, you know, feeling like I had to reach the bathroom in 10 or 15 minutes, that might cause me to isolate. With that problem lessening, that may actually stimulate instead of relaxation. So again, that that catchphrase of it is individual and individualized medicine in the sense of the mind, both from medical, supplemental, and like you said, either a psychologist or a therapist. And multiple practitioners are skilled in many of those areas. And it really is up to you what you need. And really being able to express that sometimes falls to yourself. You know, as a naturopath, and we were talking about how I got here, my passion is that healing comes from within and nature is is the healer you know in the sense that when you get things out of the way you know the obstacles to cure nature can heal you and you know that will get that in spirit as well but this also applies to mind and knowing that piece of moving towards that with real hope not false hope uh, really helps let's talk about the grief component Uh, It's a really powerful component, particularly in the early days upon diagnosis of SIBO, particularly when you've been, you're in a practitioner's office, um, they say to you, you've got SIBO. For me, there was an initial um, exhilaration. I finally had something I could give a name to. And then I fell in a complete and utter heap because then I thought, well, now what do I do? How do I live my life? Oh, I can't eat out. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I got really angry and sad. Um, What's your advice um, for any of my listeners who are in that zone right now on how they can manage their grief and sadness and anger around having this annoying condition called SIBO? (laughs) That's how you feel about it at that time. Accept it. It's appropriate in the sense that this is something that you have not chosen. It has happened to you. 
And many, for many people, it's a journey to get there. You know, multiple practitioners, thousands of dollars, failed tests. Uh, finally, something's there. Anger is an appropriate response. You know, allowing, you know, sometimes we label things as black or white, right or wrong. I, I've, the world is quite gray at times, especially in, in the condition such as this. So allowing yourself to experience that anger um, appropriately is part of acceptance. It's part of mindfulness. You're feeling anger. Feel angry. You know, when you accept it, then you have the choice what to do with it. And this may sound trite, but most times I will say at some point in someone's journey, when they're diagnosed with SIBO or in a chronic condition when I'm treating it, you didn't choose this chronic condition. It happened to you. It will change you. The only thing you have choice in is how. How will it change you? And again, changing that to real hope, you know, in the sense of this became your career. This led me to my calling to bring these things together. That's our choice. You know, we didn't choose how we got there. We didn't choose the suffering. We unfortunately have to accept it. But on the flip side, this will change you. The question is how. It's interesting you say that. I now am incredibly grateful for the fact that I had SIBO and that I have had every experience I've had, some of them horrifically traumatic. And I would never wish them upon anybody in the world. But I am in Portland today talking to you and with a room of gorgeous people because of everything that happened to me leading to this point. And I'm now able to help so many thousands of other people around the world, um, which I wouldn't have done beforehand. And so I look at my SIBO diagnosis with almost love because everything in my life changed. Now, at that point in my naturopath's office, when she gave me the diagnosis, I was not feeling love. I was feeling everything else other than love. And it has taken me a long time to get to a point where I now feel, you know, such incredible passion and love for for how my life has led me to here. Um, and, and so I think, you know, if I was to go back in time and talk to that me two and a half years ago I just give me a big hug and say things are going to get better and it's going to be a really crazy ride of where you what you can't even imagine where you're going to go but ultimately it's for the best and I'm really grateful for having dodgy guts <laughs> I really am dodgy guts can change us <laughs> they really can another thing I discovered and still talking about mind but moving into body was that after years and years and years of ignoring my symptoms because no one knew why I had them, so therefore I just stopped listening to them, was that I realised that I, had, I just did not hear my body and I needed to reconnect with my symptoms. I realised my body tells me very, very, very clearly how it's feeling, whether it likes what I've done or it really doesn't like. And so I created my food and mood diary, which uh, some of the people in the room today have um, have used. And um, I found that was a really effective way to reconnect with you know, symptoms and signals that my body was telling me. Um, how, how, do you, how do you work with your patients around them um, using the signals from their body for good and, and not allowing it to kind of spiral them into fear which can also happen where you're like oh my god I've bloated oh my gosh oh my gosh I've got pain oh my gosh is it getting worse yeah how do you work around that it's it's appropriate that we're talking about that on the cusp of mind to body um, I, I like to explain it as a, a process called radical acceptance not just accepting it but radically accepting it in the sense that there, it's it's a three-step process and again let me comment here that we in American medicine and as Americans think very linearly, you know, in a straight line. And oftentimes processes, journeys, ancient wisdom, Chinese medicine, homeopathy, these things deal with holes and circles and just processes rather than A equals B equals C. So when I explain radical acceptance, it's a three-part process. And the first part is actually self-validation. You know, I really am feeling bloated, as you just said. Really validating that. 
then accepting it and saying, yes, I feel bloated. Following that up with non-judgment, which that is a key piece to all this. The bloating does, doesn't necessarily mean necessarily anything. It could just be. And that process of self-validating it, that you feel it, radically accepting it, and then non-judging it, allows you to truly understand and choose what you're going to do about it without the cloudings of judgment or other people's voices or someone saying this isn't real or your tests are fine or will yourself to poo. You hear it all. <laughs> you do. And, I, I, and I've shared this before, but I've been yelled at by doctors for um, being constipated and, you know, and I was thinking, well, I didn't, I'm not constipated. Uh, as if yelling at somebody is going to make it better. I mean, really. Um, and I think that, um, again, and this is, I talk about my own journey a lot because I know my journey. Uh, in the early days of SIBO treatment, when I would bloat, I, I would be quite scared about it. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I've bloated. Or, oh my gosh, I've got terrible heartburn. It feels like my esophagus is made of fire. What really changed for me, which I found really interesting, was that as I progressed, I stopped approaching my symptoms with fear and instead I started to approach them with interest and intrigue. And I would then say, oh, we're bloating. That's really interesting. What might have allowed the bloating to occur today? And I'd think back and I'd be like, okay, well, you've been really stressed. And for me, stress is a, is a pretty big trigger for bloating. And, and I'd be like, yeah, Rebecca, you had a really stressful day. Okay, so maybe a really good thing to do right now is to get up, leave the computer. This is before I'd started doing all of this stuff with the healthy gut um, when I was running my own marketing consultancy. And I'd go for a walk and I'd listen to some music or something I found really soothing or I'd go and do some breathing. And I'd just kind of acknowledge it and go, okay, what's happened? It is what it is. Go put your stretchy pants on and... Uh, <laughs> Don't wear anything tight fishing and just it is. And I now approach that with any symptoms I get. My symptoms are very few and far in between, which is really nice to be at that place. But I still do have things crop up and I now go, oh, hello, symptom. Hello, bloating or hello, whatever. It's, you know, I haven't seen you for a while. What What's led you to be here today? And I can always track back what's happened and and, you know, and generally I can pinpoint why that has occurred. And I think that is a really – it's a really interesting process that you go through. Um, and I think not approaching it with fear really changes um, your experience with it. Mm -hmm. And there's solid medical things we can do as well. You know, and that's, that's that, that in-between of making the true connection in saying – all these things are really connected or interconnected in the body. We can do this for ourselves, but we also need to call upon, you know, for bloating, maybe some peppermint oil or some type of product that we can use to quell those symptoms. And, you know, that's why truly informed practice combines it all and says, hey, here's the best we have over here. Here's, the, here's what you can do on your side but here's what we can actually help you with. And truly bringing that together and speaking about it all is, I believe, part of my mission to kind of bring that to treatment, to bring this all together and why we're speaking today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Let's talk, let's move into body. Okay. Because that's, uh, we all have one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, something we're, we're often really focused on. So what do you mean by the body piece in mind, body, spirit? So the body piece is what our experience on this planet. You know, that's, that's the solid piece. That's, that's the piece where it does bloat. It does hurt. 
it does not move you know there's different areas there and and bringing awareness from the mind piece into the body uh, allows us to target where there might not be movement you know at the core uh, since we're speaking a lot about SIBO at the core we truly believe that this is a disorder of movement and mainly we're focused on the migrating motor complex but the migrating motor complex is in the small intestine in one piece of the GI tract. There is neurology that connects to that piece. There is a mind that connects that neurology to that piece. There is fascia that interwhelms all of that area. There could be adhesions grabbing a piece of that, even if the neurology is working. So again, I don't want to get too complicated here and keep spinning that out, but I think you get the point that the body piece interwhelms all of that and unwrapping all that into each individual can really inform treatment and also inform progress you know i really try and be a straight shooter and a truth teller with my patients i really don't sugarcoat i i hope i'm nice enough but i try not to sugarcoat at all in the sense of this is what it is you know and because there's adhesions here this is going to be a longer journey and I try and say that up front so it helps. You know, so after one treatment, if it fails, there isn't judgment that comes up in the sense that it failed. We expected this to be a part of this process. We have more work to do. And I like to put it in a, in a realm of just gradual improvement. You know, that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for peaks and valleys. We're looking for just for gradual improvement. And this is what you normally need to bring to a condition such as SIBO or a chronic uh, disease. But the body piece um, is why I, why I do a lot of body work. You know, even, even being you know, a medical doctor, I do a lot of something called structural integration to really move fascia, move the body, find where things just are not flowing. And I use vague terminology like that because I believe it's a connection. When things don't move, it's not just your fascia. It's not just your muscle. It's also you. It's also your ability to transmit energy. You know, homeopaths, naturopaths call this vital force. Chinese practitioners call this qi. Call it whatever you will. We need it to move because movement is life. So that's why functional gastroenterology, which... I just love integrates all this and really checks different points to say, you know, is the lower esophageal sphincter working correctly? Do you have a hiatal hernia that might be affecting that? Is the pyloric sphincter opening? How is that moving through the small intestine? You know, the small intestine can only do its job when every piece before it and then after it. So then the ileocecal valve and the large intestine and then the colon. It can only do its job if every other piece it's doing its job correctly. So again, seeing them as different, treating them differently, but never losing the big picture. Never saying the small intestine is within this system, is connected to a mind, is connected to a body, and ultimately is moved by the spirit or soul or vital force. When I was going through my treatment, I, like many and I think most people, particularly in the initial stages, I just fixated on my small intestine. I didn't even really th know much about the small intestine before I got this condition. And I went off and learned all about it. And then everything, every day I was like, what's happening in my small intestine? How are those little critters <laughs> doing? Are they dying? They better be dying. I'm killing them. <laughs> and I had not thought about my mind, about my um, trauma that I had experienced from a near-death diving accident from us being a survivor of sexual abuse being a survivor of incredibly traumatic bullying um, in my younger years and that I'd had extremely stressful jobs I had terrible self-confidence you know just hated myself there's a lot of tension in my body I'd never thought that that would have any impact on my digestive tract and it was only when I started working with a very skilled psychologist who started unraveling some of that that I felt oh, I could almost feel it releasing. And then I'd never, ever heard of adhesions. And I've had several abdominal surgeries. I've had my appendix ripped out when it was um, 
kind of bursting on the operating table and I was on my way to very bad peritonitis. And, you know, I've, I'm full of adhesions. <laughs> it's actually miraculous that my SIBO hasn't returned yet. Uh, and I now, you know, after clearing it, I was like, I'm never having SIBO come back. Whereas now I go, you know what, it will possibly come back until I address some of these other things. And if it does, that's fine, because I know all about it now. And I am in a much better place to deal with it than I once was. Um, And it's so interesting when you start looking at the body as a whole, rather than little, little pieces. And for me, I think when I talk to people, because I'm talking to so many people every day, um, as you are, who have SIBO and it's so interesting I think I think this structural piece is so overlooked but so vital and I think you know issues with the fascia and adhesions and structural damage um, I think for many people that is one of their big underlying causes of why their movement in their body just isn't working properly yeah I'm working quite hard to add it to the algorithm in the sense that this should be a vital piece where, I mean, even if the fascia isn't abdominal, it could be constricting the vagus nerve. So you can't even transmit for the migrating motor complex. Again, if we think just small intestine, there's multiple areas where these interconnections happen that there is, if there's any blockage of flow, for lack of a better term, that will affect things upstream and down. And then there's this other huge component, which I conceptualize in body, of the microbiome, of the, <laughs> the bacteria that there are more of their cells than our cells in our body and everywhere. Not just in the small intestine, we actually don't want many of them there, but they happen to get up there. Um, and all over our skin. And these balances actually impact both gut health, mental health, movement, all of these things. You know, right before the last SIBO uh, conference in Chicago, I was able to actually visit Doctors Data, a stool, a very prominent stool testing company. And we had this phenomenal discussion uh, about a study, fortunately a rat study. I'm sorry for the rats. But they did this test where they took young baby rats away from their mother and they were still fed. It was very warm. They were well taken care of. They developed IBS, IBD symptoms. These rats got better as time went on, and they proceeded into adolescence. At adolescence, these mean researchers, again, took the rats and put them on a raft in the middle of water, stress. Stress, good, bad, you know, no judgment there, but definitely stressful for the rats. Within a half an hour, they developed IBS and IBD-like symptoms. It had gone for the previous, you know, years of their life or months, I'm not, I'm not a zoologist, I don't know how old the rats were. This showed the researchers, and when they looked back, they they didn't think about it previously, but then they looked back and correlated, three strains of bacteria disappeared in majority of the rats. So what this showed was the microbiome is not just something that can be fed or modulated, it actually can be set and then reset at different times to produce this response. So it was kind of a sobering, humbling fact to, to know that you know this previous trauma would just be awakened in stress. I mean, how many times with all the people we're speaking to is that actually occurring? Um, prevention is another key of naturopathic medicine. And when knowing those things, when truly getting to the bottom of that, taking a thorough history and understanding all those pieces, like you're saying, I have adhesions, I have this, there's ways to actually proactively go after that to prevent future illness. And knowing those pieces is half the battle. I'm sure you hear this as I do with the people that I speak to, but it seems to be a very common theme for those of us with SIBO that we've generally had some form of trauma in our life, be it physical, be it emotional. Many of us are pretty, um, we're A-type personalities and I really see a personality type with SIBO. We we strive to do well. We're um, ambitious. We want to do the best that we can do in whatever chosen career that we have. Um, 
interestingly, um, you know, I hear from many people that were born premature or they had challenging births. They might not have been breastfed. They might have been formula fed. Um, when I talk to people about their current work environment, there's generally a lot of stress. I'm not speaking to people who are like, oh, my job's so relaxing. <laughs> or there's relationship stress in their life as well. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot going on. So this study, if if that's showing that these mice are their their symptoms are returning after a bout of stress, I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh yeah, I can think of the stress. And I said just before that for me, if I go into a really high stress situation, bang, that's when I'll experience my symptoms. And one of the pieces that I do now is I'm just so aware of this doesn't mean that I can avoid it completely but I will now have practices where I will really work on the reduction of stress you know work on my sleep making sure that I'm um, other than when I'm jet lagged like I am at the moment and not getting nearly enough sleep um, you know, I'm aiming for se- um, seven to eight hours every night and you know eating a good diverse diet and you know all of that stuff to you know really help the body with this as well as doing ultimately um, doing some um, physical work around these adhesions. Yeah, the, the concept of margin really comes to mind there, that building margin with lifestyle. You know, like you're saying, seven to eight hours a night of sleep, you know, making sure you're taking care of yourself, knowing your limits, setting your limits, observing your limits. These, these all build a little bit more margin that when, unfortunately, life happens, and it does, or conditions happen, you know, we walk on this planet, we're at risk for a lot. <laughs> the more margin we can have allows us to just deal with that in a better way. And also accept when we don't. You know, that's the other piece, is no one can do all those things correctly. Both you and I probably haven't enough sleep right now. We don't have as much margin. We live very busy lives. That is unfortunately reality. But making the decision to build more margin, even a little, gives you that much more space. And, and that's, again, the connection of mind and body. And you said structurally, what I feel truly at the core, if we get things moving correctly, that gives us margin as well for things in the future. You know, if we can move it through, it's going to happen. You're going to feel it. There may be things that remain but the ability to move it through allows you to survive. I've had something quite interesting happen in, in to me this year, and that was um, after four years of quite significant hip pain, I finally decided, okay, enough is enough. Rebecca, go and find put a new person in your dream team and find what's going on. And, um, and I really believe when I, when I become very conscious of something and I make a decision, you know, it sounds a bit woo-woo, but the universe often delivers for me. And so I, my New Year's resolution for this year was I'm going to sort my back and hip out once and for all. And the um, osteopath I went to see, um, I'd been going to his clinic, but I'd been seeing somebody else. I walked in and he said, I think you've got a disc issue. And sure enough, I had an MRI and I do have a disc issue. Now, when we think about structurally, my back has not been working correctly. My muscles haven't been working correctly. My fascia has not been working correctly. And so we've been undergoing this um, rehab program. Uh, and I also saw him for treatment and a myotherapist. And, and I was doing dry needling. I've really gone, you know, I've done what I do. And I've gone right into it. Um, but what has happened is that Um, and I've got a physiotherapist that's rebuilding my back strength, I have changed my body significantly in these last few months. And my physiotherapist said to me, because we were talking about me coming to the States and, and Canada for a month, and he said, right, the goal for you is to put enough fuel in the tank so that you, when you're depleting it, which is what you will be when you're on the road, that you've got enough fuel in the tank to burn to spare and I've had a really rigid program and I've really invested that time in my rehab um, so that I can come away and be as pain-free as possible Um, and we've got some exercises to do and all the rest Um, but it's also made me think gosh you know all those times when you know 
my back was inflamed. That's a lot of inflammation in my body. My gut was inflamed and I was stressed. I had a hell of a lot going on in my body all in the one time and I wasn't dealing with any of it for a long time. And, and that's, that's the piece that taking that big picture view, never losing it in saying, uh, where's the, where are these connections happening? Because at that point, I imagine you could have been doing several really good, well-tuned, very researched SIBO treatments, but the body, the surrounding components were not able to move it through for you. So it was less effective. And that's why taking just a slightly bigger picture view and saying what possibly could not be allowing this to move through you know is that in the mind could it even be methylation you know genetics even can can be modified is it microbiome is it adhesions is it fascia is it this connection is it upstream is it downstream and is it all moving and connecting in some way you know that's that's the unifying principle in the sense that does, is there an organized flow of motion through the body? That's kind of what I believe is the ideal of health. For anyone listening to today's podcast and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I have got so many areas that I think are not moving. What's your advice to them in terms of how they approach this? Because it can be overwhelming when you start thinking, I've got, you know, I think I've got a methylation issue. I should go and get tested for the MTHFR gene mutation. Oh my gosh, I've had surgery. So there's issues with my fascia. I've had a cesarean. So there's definitely, there's, you know, likely to be adhesions. Um, you know, I've got other structural issues. And then you go down that rabbit hole of fear. <laughs> How do we approach this from a better place than fear? Yeah. One step in front of the other. And I know that that sounds really simple and incredibly hard to do for someone, a type A anxious person. It really is putting one step in front of the other, finding a practitioner that you can ally yourself with, truly, that will listen may not have all the answers, but will listen and understand and help you prioritize. You know, there are priorities with some of this. There is an order to it, even though it sounds overwhelming and all connected. There is sometimes a way to piece through this. And, and that's kind of what we, why I built eight hearts to kind of get most of that under one roof in the sense for convenience to say, hey, how do we do this and how do we do it well with integrity and not waste so much time and effort, you know, in the sense that you can treat your small intestine four or five times with the best treatments, spend thousands on rifaximin or whatever. And if it can't move, it will just back up. It, 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 and it's, it's a sobering, humbling thing, even from a practitioner side, you know, sometimes you need to do that and have that trial and error and accept that that was a trial and error to get to that point. It gives you information. So that's why I say one step in front of the other for everyone involved. And again, granting yourself grace and margin in the sense that this is a journey. How long did it take you to get here? It may take some time to unravel that and truly accepting that process, you know, cause it, is sometimes a long process and defining your version of health for today not 10 years in the future but for today what would be a success to kind of move towards I think that that can be uh, quite challenging um, one understanding what your sense of health is today um, I know that I wanted it to be resolved as quickly as humanly possible. In fact, I said to my naturopath, I'm going to be the quickest case you've ever seen. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was adamant about it at the time. I was like, I'm getting this, I'm smashing this. <laughs> that can be re- really hard. Um, that kind of moves us nicely into spirit um, because, you know, our spirit can really help and hinder us. What do you mean by spirit? What I mean by that is the uniting force that really brings it all together. And, you know, different people have faith practices or beliefs or how they move outside themselves. And that's where I kind of land is the spirit component is a moving outside oneself. 
you know, in bringing this to a greater capacity, you know, how for you, your condition led you to help many, you know, how does that process happen? That didn't happen day one. It took a, a while that I imagine was that bigger component, something bigger than you moving things forward. Um, you know, I have my own faith journey and, you know, I, I share that with patients if they ask, but for them, they need to find out what that is for them and look outside themselves and rely on that, whatever that is, to, to move them forward. And whether that be meditation or prayer or simply being in nature, you know, these are things that must be a part of any treatment holistically. How can you treat whole body if you don't have all these pieces to do that? And it's also freeing in the sense that this piece we don't have much control over. You know, it, it's almost that ability to look outside oneself and know there's something greater and, and move towards that. I'd never felt overly connected with much, um, you know, perhaps humans um, because I was always so busy on my career or my travel or whatever it was. And I found it really interesting that as I've gone through this whole experience with SIBO, I feel a lot more connected with the planet that I am on. And I've done a lot of reading just around human evolution and us as a species. And I've realized that you know, it's only in very recent times when I really stopped to think about it that we have disassociated ourselves from our planet and that we've, we've for many, many thousands of years, we were actually highly connected to our planet. And so I now um, really try to reconnect with the planet and it can be as simple as just going out and going for a walk but not, you know, I'd always have loud music so I'd would just be thinking about the music whereas now I go out and I'm looking in the trees at the birds and I'm looking I've got a beautiful walk near where I live in Melbourne in Australia we're right on the Yarra River and it's gorgeous you know I walk up and down the Yarra River and I'm looking at the swans and the ducks and the birds and the trees and the grass and the sunshine <laughs> and I really start just feeling a bit more connected to a greater thing um and I think sometimes spirit can be confused with religion and that for non-religious type people um, that they can be like, don't talk to me about spirituality because don't tell me I have to believe in a God. Right. Um, and that can be really confronting. Um, I don't know whether you're able to articulate what you see as the difference between, say, religion and spirituality for those people who are listening that might be like, I don't even get what spirituality or spirit means. Mm -hmm. So it would be, again, in not speaking in religious terms, as I would say, the unifying force. You know, that can be just internal or external, depending on what someone believes. And the unifying force internally in bringing through mind and body would be, I would think, the closest we can get to is that layer of fascia. You know, in the sense that it literally intertwines everything, goes into our cells, goes through things, and communicates it all. You know, there's some ordering principle that orders all this. How does the throat swallow at the correct time and move into this? We know this. I mean, I, from training, I know this. I've dissected a cadaver. But there is a unifying force behind it that orders it. And to, to many that may be skeptical of greater forces, that could be chi or energy, or flow. And in looking to that, that could be enough in terms of spirituality to move things through, to just see something as greater than one and connected and interconnected. Um, and reaching outside themselves to practitioners, community, friends, all this, assembling a team, that is that is the greater good as well. And there's, I feel, great spirit amongst fellow seaboers. We're sitting in a room with them. And um, I've felt enormous um, – I have found it to be enormously beneficial myself just connecting with people, so getting outside of my own head and connecting with others and hearing about them themselves and hearing about their experiences and realising that so many of us are so similar. And that's been very spiritually powerful for me as I've gone, okay, Rebecca, it's not all about you. <laughs> and for me, something that's also been really powerful is giving back, is not just 
take, 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 but how can I help? How can I give? How can I be of service or of use to my fellow humans who might need something I've got to offer? And that's why the Healthy Gut podcast started because it was all about giving back to this community of people and helping however I could. And I think that can also be part of spirituality. Absolutely. Movement, life, you know, moving it through for you, that was a piece of your journey. For each individual person, that looks very differently. Depending on their backgrounds or what they believe, that looks differently. And that's why I say it's so important to really define health in a bigger component individually and really work with practitioners that can understand that and speak truth to it because sometimes some of those things may not be completely possible give you real hope not false hope but move you towards that goal and help you guide you because they don't have the power but they can help guide that's an important piece to that perspective is key many times in looking outside ourselves sometimes we really see that things are not as bad for us as others and that that energy really changes things. It, it really does on many levels, whatever you believe. It truly changes it. I think helping others is really powerful in terms of healing. Um, when we give to others selflessly and we're not expecting anything in return, I know that I myself feel incredibly fulfilled and happy when I do something like that and I'm not asking for anything back I'm just giving out of the kindness of my soul and my heart Um, and you know and it might be for some people volunteering it might be you know working with a particular charity Um, it might simply just be making a meal and taking it around to a friend's place just to say I love you as a friend and you know something really simple like that can really can really help and um, you know when I went as I was going through SIBO, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia and he was given 12 months to live. And I'd been so hung up on my own self and my own SIBO journey that that then with my dad's diagnosis, it was a real awakening of, I don't have cancer, I just have an overgrowth of bacteria and it sucks sometimes and it really hurts but I haven't just been told I've got 12 months to live. And I think that, and so it was really powerful with dad's diagnosis. Now I'm really happy to report that my dad is still here, which is great. <laughs> he's not doing everything I would like him to do. He's, <laughs> <laughs> his gut is definitely not in a good state. And uh, and I said to him, dad, who is your daughter? <laughs> like, why are you not listening to me? But he's on his own journey and he's not ready to do that, that work. And and that can also be part of our SIBO journey. Sometimes we can have people in our life and we're like, oh, my gosh, you have SIBO. I know you've got SIBO. Look at your symptoms. I mean, just listen to me. You're not listening to me. Why are you not doing anything about it? Go and see Dr. Wysocki and he'll sort you out. <laughs> it's about the journey, like where the person is in their own life. Um, sometimes We can't force them. And, uh, and anyway, that's a very long-winded way of saying I think sometimes it's great to have greater perspective than what's going on in our own little body. And that looks different for everyone in the sense that, you know, to simplify this a little bit, constipation is an inward constriction. You know, energy is constrained and possibly moving that through in many ways, in all ways, can aid that journey. So for those people, possibly exiting themselves in some way, putting themselves out there may be part of that. It may be, it may not. Again, these are generalities. The other side, you know, diarrhea, more associated with anxiety, hydrogen, you know, all these things moving through, more anxiety, moving quickly, stress, IBS, more this sort of thing. Maybe that person needs to relax and slow down and possibly spend more time alone. So health is very different depending on the person and their journey and their spirituality. You know, as a piece of that, to move it through, it could look very different it looks very different for me than for you, and it could look very different for anyone in this room. I wish that more practitioners um, talked about mind, body, spirit, because it's been such an important and integral component to my return to health. Um, and I guess for anyone listening, um, having those conversations with your practitioner around these 
other elements. It's not just about pills and potions and, and uh, you know, medical intervention, but having that conversation. And if, if this is resonating with you, then I would recommend, you know, looking for those people that you can add to your kit you know, your dream team. And maybe that your practitioner is really great with the medical component, but they're not going to be able to support you with the mind, body, spirit component. And so you need to go and look for someone that can support you. And that's fine to go elsewhere and look for somebody else that can support with another area. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I mean, it's it, sometimes it takes a village to really move things through and it, it it's each individual's journey. And you know, that's, that's the heart of eight hearts is the sense of a community of healing in the sense that we can't all do it all. We can't all know it all. And I imagine, again, this is non-judgmental, but possibly truth. Mind, body, spirit is very woo-woo and very hard to speak about. It is truly humbling because there aren't solid answers. I would much rather be answering questions about the migrating motor complex right now, <laughs> but it's so important to have all the pieces and never to just treat one area in absence of everything else. You know, that's what, that's what we as naturopaths truly, you have to treat the whole person in order for, if someone's definition of health is larger than just one piece, you have to have multiple pieces to do it. And sometimes that takes multiple practitioners. Sometimes that takes multiple years. You know, and, and really, really investigating and taking each step and defining what success would be right now and then in the future and constantly being humble enough to realize that that's going to change is, is a part of that journey. If someone's listening and they're thinking, okay, this is really resonating with me, I'd really like to start incorporating this and they try talking about it with their partner or their family or their friends and they get that, are you serious? This is crazy. That's woo-woo talk. And they don't feel that they're getting the support. Do you have any advice for them on how they can start to approach this when perhaps they might not have support around them to to start being able to talk about it at least with friends and family? Yeah, that's that's a hard question, and it would be really individual for that person. Um, listening to podcasts such as this, reaching out to communities, um, finding some place where they can. You know, many times people that we need to speak to and help are around us. We just are not reaching out. And sometimes that takes time. And that could be part of the journey too. You know, feeling that loneliness might just be the spark to move things through or feeling that some of these relationships might need to change. You know, sometimes if someone won't listen, maybe they just don't understand and that's okay. Find someone who does. And possibly that may be a practitioner for some time until you can understand it enough to help them understand and then they can help you through the journey you know it's 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 kind of taking the grace that you're wanting for yourself also demonstrating that in the sense of everyone needs a little bit of margin these days I found when I started to really step into this space I started to talk about it with people around me and I and I did it not expecting anything in return. What really surprised me was that my opening up of wanting to explore these concepts and talking about it, I was having a profound impact on people. I didn't, I wasn't doing it to have an impact on them, but people were coming back to me and saying, I was so moved by you talking to me about the abuse you suffered or whatever and, you know, your transformation psychology um, psychologically around it that I I'm now addressing my things and these people I would never have thought that that this could have an impact so like you say um, seeing who's in your immediate like your current community you might be really surprised at who's actually there Dr. Jason Wysocki it has been a thrill to have you on the podcast today we've been talking about you coming on the podcast for some time so we've finally done it and we've also been able to do it here in the lovely eight hearts in Portland with our gorgeous listeners um 
if people would like to get in touch with you, how is the what's the best way for them to do so? So contacting Eight Hearts, eighthearts.org is our website, and calling the office to either make an appointment. I do do distance consultations, so that is available. Um, if you haven't seen a physician in person at Eight Hearts, uh, we can't prescribe or treat, but we do do educational consultations to possibly help and give some guidance on what to do um, if you can't come and see us. But again, we see people in person and eighthearts.org is where my bio is and where all of our lovely practitioners are. And there's some great ones here. And thank you to everybody that's taken their night out on um, this Friday evening to come and join us um, with the live recording of the Healthy Gut Podcast. So Dr. Jason Wysocki, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed episode 40 of the Healthy Gut Podcast with Dr. Jason Wysocki. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode or any of the links mentioned in the episode, make sure you head to thehealthygut.co forward slash mind, body, spirit. And that's all one word. I love hearing your feedback on my shows, so make sure you head to iTunes or the app that you use to listen to the show to leave a rating and review. And if you feel that you could benefit from help around mind, body and spirit, or the five key pillars to health, being awareness, nutrition, movement, mindset and lifestyle, then you may find the SIBO coaching program could be of benefit to you. We have a wonderful group of people doing the SIBO coaching program. They all have SIBO. They're from all around the world and they are an amazing group of people who are helping each other to live well with SIBO. If you'd like to know more about the program or to know whether this might be something that could be beneficial for you, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash SIBO hyphen coaching hyphen program and that link is also in the show notes from today's episode coming up on next week's show we chat with Angela Priven who has herself experienced SIBO firsthand but what makes her very interesting is that she was a digestive health coach and she could not quite believe that she herself had ended up with SIBO. So it's a wonderful episode, one not to miss and that's coming up next week on the Healthy Gut Podcast. You've been listening to the Healthy Gut Podcast with your host, Rebecca Coombs. To learn more about the Healthy Gut or our podcast, head to thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. And as we are fully funding this podcast, if you would like to help support the continuation of this podcast so that we can continue to bring you future episodes, all you need to do is make a contribution at thehealthygut.co forward slash podcast. We would like to thank Belinda Coombs for the production, editing and original music score of this podcast. To hear more of Belinda's music, head to soundcloud.com forward slash Belinda Coombs. The Healthy Gut Podcast is a production of The Healthy Gut. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.